Is this a good thing, Crow? Is this a good thing? Is this good? Is this is this good? <laughs> is this good that this is happening? Is this good? Is this good for the world? How many times, man? Smashing Security, Episode 226, Crypto Crazies and NFTs, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 226. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, we're joined this week by returning guest, a regular on the show. It's David McClelland. I think it's the wonderful David McClelland, actually. TV's David McClelland. <laughs> wow, I've got pre-nominals and post-nominals there. Good to hear your voices again. I hear some ointment can clear that kind of thing up, David. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, so what, what's been going on in your life, David? Busy little bee under lockdown? Certainly have been a busy bee. Um, I have moved house again, you might say, but it was three years since we made the big move into the countryside. We were renting just while we decided that we hadn't made a big mistake after all and we liked the village <laughs> we had moved into. Uh, we decided that we did, so we took the opportunity of lockdown. And here in the UK, stamp duty, this tax you pay when you buy a house, mm. has been relaxed for many people. So we used that as an opportunity to buy a house in our village, and it is lovely. But I will be talking a little bit more about that later on in the show okay sounds good okay well let's say thanks to this week's sponsors one password no before and skiff there's a port help us give you this show for free now coming up on today's show graham what do you got i'm gonna be talking about a mother scam coin Ooh, fruity <laughs> david what about you well i'm going to be talking about how google is still displaying adverts for these value-added services did you hear the rabbit's ears there big rabbit's ears Ooh, okay and i'm gonna see if we can figure out what the fuss is with this nft business all this and much more coming up on this episode of smashing security now chums chums how would you like to earn some automatic money i don't know what that means not your regular money this is money you can earn by not having to do anything it is simple cool automatic money in fact that's what it's called simple cool automatic money or you can shorten it s-c-a-m also known as scam because scam is the name of a brand new cryptocurrency. Mm. You're kidding me. No, no, for real. It has emerged oh. in the last week or two. It's been dreamt up by a TikToker, no less. That's where he publicized it. A chap who calls himself Dre. His real name is Andre Lewis. You know, I'm working with devs. I'm working with legal teams. I'm working with businesses and shit. Like, there's a lot going on, man. Like, I've, I'm, I'm a regular motherfucker that just so happened to make a coin and now I got to make this bitch useful to the world and I get a chance to make this an educational tool for motherfuckers. So I'm going to take that chance and I'm going to make that chance, you feel me? And guess what? Today, we're going to burn some motherfucking tokens. You see that $7 trillion supply? Oh, oh, most of that shit gone, player. That shit getting burnt. Burnt. Light now, Dre describes himself as a regular mother. And uh, he says... Just like you. <laughs> Same as you. Okay. I wouldn't say I was a regular one, Carol. I'd say You're I was special? Sort of... Grade A? I'm not your common or garden mother. <laughs> I'm sort of your, your sort of F-list motherfucker. Yeah. David yeah. is a sort of C-list. Right. David's not that far from being invited on, I don't know, 
not come dine with me. What do they call it? The, the, the skating on ice show or the celebrity come dancing. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Have you ever been asked David to do any of those? Um, Yes, actually, I, I have not not one of those, but certainly another program which people may have heard of that I'm I'm not going to mention out of fairness, but it may have involved me sitting on a chair for a good part of the program. Uh, it never came off in the end. Uh, maybe COVID got in the way, but yeah, sitting on a chair. That sounds like riveting television. Someone sitting <laughs> on a chair. I know. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, we missed that. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Dre, he says that he came up with this thing he calls Scam, the Simple Call Automatic Money Cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. He says he brought it up as a joke. He was poking fun at what he called other shit coins, which are cryptocurrencies, which aren't made out of poop. They are pump and, well, maybe appropriately dump schemes um, quite <laughs> often, where the, the price is overinflated and sort of hyped up to high heaven. And then, of course, people get out and make a lot of money and other people are probably making a loss. So he got fed up with all of those. And so just as a joke, he created this cryptocurrency called Scam. Okay. Sounds like a brilliant idea so far. <laughs> what happened next? Well, obviously, there, there was a potential side effect, which was if anyone also found the joke funny and bought some scam coins, right. he might make himself some money on the side because he owned right. about 10% of all the scam coins in existence. So his view is win-win, have a giggle, maybe make a bit of wonga. And he felt he wasn't doing anything wrong because he was being quite upfront. He said, look, I'm not trying to scam people. I'm being very open and transparent. I'm not tricking you by making any promises. I mean, it's Uh, fucking called scam. (laughs) So he's made no promises. So you haven't been tricked effectively. Now, he minted 10 trillion coins. 10 trillion? 10 trillion. Quite a lot. I know a little bit about cryptocurrencies. I've done a bit of work on those this year, kind of researching and writing about mm. them. But that that's an awful lot of coinage, I think. Yeah. He reckons it cost him about $400 to do it. So there are some services online where you can basically sort of enter mm-hmm. your details and press some buttons and out the other end comes a new cryptocurrency. And he told some of his mates about it and he began to promote it on his TikTok channel. And, Harold, to answer your question, what happened next? Okay, yeah. Well, the scam cryptocurrency zoomed up to a market capitalization of $70 million. Whoa. Shut up. Now. (laughs) Did he cash out then? Or or did he? Well, no, he has not cashed out. And he says, he says he's not going to cash out. This ain't no f***ing rug pull, my I make the rug. And I'll lock that bitch away. I'll lock that bitch away. He claims not even to know how to sell cryptocurrency. <laughs> and I, I think, I don't know, there's, there's a part of me which thinks that's nonsense. But then I watch some of his videos and I think, I'm just amazed he knew how to upload a video <laughs> to TikTok. <laughs> anyway, since, since reaching $70 million, it then slumped to $7 million, $5 million, And it's now currently less than $2 million market capitalization remember that is still not chump change though uh, no no but remember that's two million dollars for 10 trillion coins yeah it cost him 400 bucks or whatever absolutely absolutely so it's a good return that's what i'm saying nice roi and it got up to 70 million you know despite him admitting the coin had no use whatsoever (laughs) there's no way you could know use it to buy anything other than i guess other cryptocurrency all you can do with it is buy it or sell it and that's it 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That still sounds like a good number of proper, again, Big Rabbit says, proper cryptocurrencies. And I guess that's his point. Yes, that's it. He feels like he's making the point that these sort of things can happen. He's been amazed about the response. And there is a community of scam fans now, which has emerged. They call themselves the Scamily. I like that. And (laughs) I'll give him that. (laughs) They've created a Discord channel. There's more than 2,000 members all chatting away Mm. about this scam cryptocurrency. They've got a fancy website you can go to called Scamily.io. We can read more about them and see some videos by the creator. But there's been some unfortunate side effects because, of course, with the zooming up and then the plummet, Mm -hmm. some people aren't terribly happy. (laughs) They kind of expected the price to continue going up. Mm. And apparently, according to Dre, well, he's been speaking to the guys at Motherboard, and he says, uh, well, I'll I'll just quote what he says. So imagine this is him. Okay. At one point, I started getting calls from relatives because motherfuckers tried to dox me and harass my family. I made this as a joke. No one told you to buy this shit. It's called scam, you stupid motherfucker. I went on Twitter to say I'm not taking disrespect from motherfuckers with no anime pictures and no 8-bit f***ing profile pictures because the coin tanked at some point. I didn't do anything. I didn't tell anyone to buy anything. Yeah, Fair enough. <laughs> so he's, he's not happy with people's response. He thinks he's been quite open. I think his expletives help his honesty a bit. Do you? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I bought all that. It's authentic, girl. Exactly. It's a really good PR scam. It's He's great. extremely authentic on his TikTok channel, if you fancy that. There's an awful lot <laughs> no, more no. of that kind of thing going on. I don't on. even know what that is. Um, <laughs> now, you may think scam isn't to be taken seriously because, and most people, I suspect, have bought it as a bit of a laugh, but potentially they could lose money. You know, they could lose a lot of money if they got in when it was high and went low. And there have been cryptocurrencies in the past. I don't know a lot about cryptocurrencies, but there was this thing, Dogecoin, wasn't there? Mm, yes, that mm. certainly was. Which was started as a bit of a joke, like seven or eight years ago. Uh, it's the one with the dog picture. And, uh, it <laughs> and it now has a market value of about $51 billion. That's disgusting. Which is bigger than companies like Delta Airlines or Peloton and even Elon Musk. As twi- well, I say even Elon Musk has tweeted about Dogecoin. You such a bromance for that guy. I really don't, Carl. Yeah, you do. You talk about him all the time. But you know, like in the, in the schoolyard, it's like you always pick on the girl that you actually secretly fancy. Elon is your lady I'm not there. picking on Elon. I'm not picking mm. on Elon. So um, Dre now mm. says, look, I'm just a regular mother f- uh, But he says, this is the fubu of crypto. What? <laughs> Excuse me? This is the FUBU of crypto. Easy for him to say. What's FUBU? Are you not <laughs> Are you not familiar with FUBU? No. Okay. So it means for us, by us. I think it's like hip-hop apparel. What? Apparel, like clothing? Yes, yes. Clothing, okay. you, you will. Yes. But if you're in the... If you're in the crypto gang, then you would use words like that. Much clearer. Much clearer. Thank you. Anyway, he says he hopes that this some good will come of this. Maybe he will educate people about it. And maybe, actually, it will become a real cryptocurrency. But I somehow find it rather <laughs> st- $70 million. I'm just shocked. No, well, $7 millions now. It just, you know, it's like a roller coaster, these things. Well, less than $2 million. Anyone who says, I thought it would continue going up, has, doesn't understand finances very much, I think. Like, Isn't that the definition of cryptocurrency in most of its investors? People just see <laughs> a graph going northeast, 
and they think, yes, I like the look of that. I'll jump on that and hope it carries on going in that direction. Mm -hmm. I have a confession to make because Mm. earlier this year I was commissioned to write a story for Metro newspaper on cryptocurrencies, a kind of zero to hero. And while I'd spoken and researched and understood a bit about the underlying blockchain technology and why many businesses and why many financial institutions get quite excited about that, I kind of steered away from the actual cryptocurrency bit that, that, that goes on top. But I went down deep, uh, spoke to a few people from uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. And as part of that, I said, you know what, I'm going to invest, gamble, invest 50 pounds, 50 pounds, just so that I've been through the process and I see where it takes me. And one of the cryptocurrencies that I invested in was Dogecoin. Oh, really? Funnily enough, yes, when it was about 3p per coin. And now it's riding high at about 45p or something like that, thanks to Elon Musk and a, a rabid community of, uh, of, of Dogecoiners. I'm not sure what they call themselves. But this is a cryptocurrency that is often used to tip content creators online. Yes. yes, it started off as a joke, but actually it's found its community, it's found its mm. purpose. And, you know, many people speak very, very strongly. It's, it's a badge of honour. Same with many of the other cryptocurrencies as well. And in fact, I'm looking right now at another cryptocurrency. You mentioned the scam token. There is mm. here the anti-scam token, which <laughs> has risen in price over the last week by 35.6%. Jesus. <laughs> I haven't invested into that one, I should say. Is this how you bought your new house? (laughs) Oh, I wish I'd have invested 10 years ago. No, no, I I don't. I don't. Um, No, certainly not. Certainly not. But you're right. There's a lot of charts going northeast, particularly at the moment. There is this real rise in in many of the main cryptocurrencies, you know, whether it's Bitcoin, which everyone thinks of, but some of the others, Ethereum and whatever as Mm. well. It's a really interesting space to be watching, but I value my money. And going back to the story I wrote two or three months ago, uh, I, I can't be seen to give financial advice, certainly not in the pages of the newspaper. Mm. And, th- and thankfully, the uh, Financial Conduct Authority came out with a do not invest in cryptocurrencies right. unless you are prepared to lose all of your money. It is very much yeah. a house of cards yeah. was was their tech. So, look, I'm not going to put a downer on people who do choose to do this. I know many people who do. And it does mm. seem to be this kind of binary thing. People are either very evangelical about cryptocurrencies or quite the opposite. People rarely sit in the middle. And I'm, I am kind of sitting in the middle and I'm seeing people doing both thinking, well, you know what, I'm just going to watch it and be interested and see where it goes, like a lot of other people. Meanwhile, I have to say my £50 has been quite a fun little gamble over the last few months. So have you sold any of your cryptocurrency yet or have you... Con- kept the investment. Well, he just moved house, Graham. Uh, no. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to lie. I did sell my Dogecoin and and bought a, uh, a stable coin. You mentioned all these different types of currencies. Mm. You've got the you've got the stable coins like Litecoin. Then you've got the shit coins, which are which are the rubbish ones. These, these are technical terms in crypto land. So yeah, I, I did ditch the Doge and bought some Litecoin instead, which has performed not particularly well. So, David, what have you got for us this week? So, I'm going to take you on a little journey into my past. So, many years ago, my lovely lady wife and I got married, 13 years ago to be exact. It was our wedding anniversary, thank you very much, a couple of weeks ago, and I bought her a pair of shoelaces as our lace anniversary gift. (laughs) 
classy. <laughs> we never buy each other serious gifts. I think for no. our first anniversary, I bought a ream of April paper. <laughs> Life is too short to buy serious gifts all the time. Anyway, so a decision was made at the time that she would double barrel her surname so that she would keep her married name and her maiden name together. So uh, yeah. Kerry Barrett hyphen McClelland, the hyphen isn't part of the double barrel that's just the hyphen anyway Mm -hmm. one or two just for absolute clarity but one or two things happened that helped us to realize that it wasn't a great idea first of all it turns out that many online forms don't like surnames that are that long they often cap at 12 (laughs) or 16 characters or something so on on some corners of the internet on lots of things through the post she was kerry barrett mcclella not great really and then the other thing a more personal thing was our our delightful children came along and we made the decision that they would take my surname and kerry realized that she didn't want to have a different surname Mm. to her children so Mm-hmm. Kerry embarked on this process of changing her name. And in the UK and many other countries, this is known as deed poll. Now, deed poll is not something you do every day. So where do you go to find out how to do it? The internet. You, yeah, exactly. You hit Google, of course. Yeah. So I, I don't know. She typed in deed poll England or something like that. And, you know, what people tend to do is look for the first official looking result. And, you mm. know, we do this for all kinds of things, don't we? Passport applications, driving licenses, travel visas, the sorts of things you don't do every day. Search it on the internet, look for an official looking source. And that's exactly what Kerry did. And the site, so she tells me, looked very genuine and she entered in her personal details, paid a fee that she thought was for this legitimate government service. And to be fair, a few days later, and I looked at it earlier today, she got an official looking certificate back through the post. And it looks official at first glance, I guess. And, you know, that was it. Until last year, when I was researching a story for BBC Ripoff Britain, currently on BBC One, 9.15 till 10am, into middle men... Sorry, am am I allowed to plug? I don't know. Um, Into middle men service companies uh, that advertise strategically on Google to help process people's uh, applications. Uh, And this is, again, driving licence address changes, ESTA applications if you're travelling to the US. But none of these services are official and they charge a really healthy fee on top. So I dived <laughs> into our family's filing and took another look at the certificate that Kerry got back. Right. It wasn't official at all. You know, it had a watermark on it with the name of the website that it came from. And for the type of deed poll that she had been through, an unenrolled one for those who know the process, there isn't an official document as such at all. She had been duped. Now, this was, you know, eight or nine years ago or something, but she'd been duped into using a third-party service company that it turns out did little more than run some paper admittedly it was kind of posh parchment paper, through a laser printer and then post it back to us. And it applied a very, very healthy fee for the privilege. Wasn't official. The piece of paper we received was no more lawful or legitimate than if we'd followed a template and printed it out ourselves. So they hadn't even taken her details and filled in the real form. Oh, oh, no. So so they had an online form that literally chucked it into this template that they then printed off. So there was no processing for them to go through they just copied and pasted into this bit of paper and sent it back and charged a good bit of money for it at the time (laughs) now the thing is is that these sites aren't necessarily illegal 
to the letter of the law because they are providing a service of sorts, so they claim. <laughs> now, they have to make it clear that they aren't an official government service. And there have been various clampdowns on this in the past. Uh, like I say, I looked over this a few months ago. Mm. And I have to say, I looked at a good number of these and they are very, very clever in how they word their disclaimers, mm. how they mimic the look and feel of the official websites, you know, close enough so that they can get away with it, but they don't say that they are. And I can understand how the unwary could easily be duped and unwittingly hand over lots of cash for something that might be free, like in our deed poll case, or cost a lot less, let alone the whole thing of harvesting people's personal details. But the question is, question is, yes. why am I seeing these in the first place? Surely Google should be wheedling them out. Realising that if I'm searching for official government services, that only official government websites, that only those official sites should appear at the top of the results. And you would like to think that, wouldn't you? And thanks to pressure by various places, mm. this time last year, the Big G introduced a new government services policy that said very clearly that it would no longer allow these kind of ads. And guess what? It's, it's still there. It's made not the <laughs> blindest bit of difference. I was looking at these back in uh, November last year. Uh, the BBC, I'm um, looking at the BBC story that dropped a, a day or so ago, uh, Chris Fox, um, and he said that the BBC has been looking month by month, doing a set number of searches to see how many of these government and official delegated services ads appear at the top of the results. And basically... They're still there, despite Google making a big noise last year of saying it wheedles out billions of these and it uses artificial intelligence and they're not allowed to serve these adverts anymore. They still are, which is so incredibly frustrating. So these aren't appearing at the top of the search results because of some SEO wizardry by the people who run these websites, but, but actually just because simply, they're simply giving money to Google. Exactly. Yes. They paid Google to, to show up Google there. Google is and making Google's, money out of yeah. this. Exactly that, which is yeah. which is another angle on the frustration here. You know, is it in Google's interests to curtail some of these, I'm sure, very well paid adverts? Uh, and I don't know that it is. So on the one hand, Google's saying, yeah, we're, we're stopping billions of these every right. year. And on the other hand, thank you very much. Uh, we'll have some money for that click, please. I'm not really surprised by this, just even based on YouTube ads that will show up. Yeah. Some of them are astounding. You know, they're astounding get-rich-quick schemes and diet stuff and all kinds of nastiness. And it doesn't seem to be any vetting, you know, like standard authority No, and uh, other than itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, goodness knows that someone in a position of authority should be judge and jury uh, on the <laughs> <laughs> about what happens in their homes or, or whatever. Um, but it's the same on social media platforms as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredibly yeah. frustrating, you know. Uh, anyway, so there seems to be little that we can do about it. And, you know, it's something that even a supposedly tech-savvy tech savvy household can fall foul of, albeit in far more innocent times. And I'm also surprised that the ad industry isn't kicking up a fuss about this because it's really dinging the reputation of people even having any faith in ads at all. You mm. know, when you were on television, you'd have your own national authority that was helping guide the ads, you know, and then the UK. You've got the ASA, the Advertising Standards Agency. Yeah, Advertising Standards, right? So you can report things to them and they, and they can vet content that is allowed to be displayed there mm. but no one's doing that here on digital i saw an advert which upset me the other day on the tv have you seen this advert um with albert einstein in the bath and he goes hello i'm albert einstein and i want to tell you to install smart meters <laughs> and oh. 
I want to know Deep how... Deepfake land. Yeah, I want to know how that... Even if they had the permission of the estate of Albert Einstein, how do they get that past the advertising standards people? Because he's not Albert Einstein. Who knows, Graham? Maybe after you pass, we could maybe use you to advertise pants or something. <laughs> right? <laughs> But anyway, anyway, oh, anyway, I think something should be done about it. And I hope the powers that be are listening and will wrap the knuckles of Google. The middle-aged white man has spoken, people. <laughs> Which one of us is? are you referring to then? <laughs> oh, sorry, the over the... <laughs> over middle age. Uh, Carole, <laughs> cheeky bugger. Uh, what have you got for us this week? Okay, we're talking NFTs. Now, David, I assume you're going to, you know everything about NFTs. I, I know what they stand for, and they've certainly been top of the agenda over the last few weeks, haven't they? Exactly. Okay, so please chip in at any time, because I've just started scratching the surface of this. All I know is it stands for non-fungible or fungible token. <laughs> what, is, what does fungible mean, Graham? Do you I know? don't know. And I, I, Well, I'm not surprised. Are you going to explain all of this to me? Because... I'm going to explain it to I you. I need help. Yes. Right. Okay, good. So non-fungible token. Okay. And it doesn't help much because that's not even a word that's been really in fashion recently, but now it's back with a surge. So first, fungible refers to something that can be interchanged like rice or dollars or Bitcoin. So I can trade one for another and it doesn't matter. You're not better or worse off okay. if we trade equal amounts of each. So non-fungible means something that exists that, that can't effectively be duplicated, like, like a painting, right? You may have an original art piece that's, say, worth $50,000. And you can get a print of that same work for a fraction of the price. Right. But there's one original and there's countless copies. Or I could say the Himalayas, right? I could say I own the Himalayas, but... You can't make you a copy did. of the Himalayas. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, just for the, yes, just to be clear, you I You could don't, take a picture but... of the Himalayas and yes, then you don't that, right? Yeah, right. So a non-fungible token is a kind of like an identification of ownership of something original in the digital or even physical realm, like a digital stamp of ownership. Would you say that's fair, David? I'm just checking in with the expert. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that's fair enough for me. Okay, cool. Um, now, most NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are part of the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, same as Bitcoin, but Ethereum is another one, another cryptocurrency. Though others are getting on the bandwagon. And why not? Because as you'll see, there is a lot of wonga that can be made here with these NFTs. And Graham, coming to your story, think about it in terms of this, because it's insane. Mm -hmm. So, Ethereum is a platform with its own digital cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but its blockchain also supports the non-fungible tokens, these NFTs. And whoever has the NFT certificate in their digital possession is considered the rightful owner of this NFT item. Of the Himalayas or of a work of art or something. Yes. Right. And the way the sites work is much like eBay, right? So they can be bought auction styly. There's platforms like OpenSea and Mintable and Rarible. Um, and this is where you do NFT trades. And then you can either bid on items, as you would in, like an internet auction, mm -hmm. or some will have a set fee. Okay? So you might say, you just give me this and you can have this. Okay. But prices in the auction sphere can hike to dizzying heights. And ironically, which is interesting because eBay is now reportedly looking at how it can implement NFT auctions. So, so NFTs seem to be 
really in the creative digital space at the moment. So like original pieces of music, a painting, a cool software experiment, even a tweet. So founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, sold his very first tweet as an NFT earlier okay, this hang on, year. Hang on, hang on. Roll back a moment. I can uh -huh. understand <laughs> why you could have – so you paint, Carol. I could understand why yep. you could have an NFT proving that I have ownership of one of your paintings. Mm -hmm. how, how can I buy a tweet? How can I because buy someone else's tweet? Because you will have tweet? the NFT certificate sold to you by the original owner, Jack Dorsey, who created it. And he will sell it to you for for money. Why would I want that? Well, because you might be able to sell it on again as the cost goes up. So if you bought it for three Ethereum coins, whatever it's called, David. <laughs> what's, what, what's, what's the point of owning a Jack Dorsey tweet? It's still there on Twitter, right? Well, or someone, is it thought, someone thought it was a pretty good idea because they bought it for $3 million. Yeah, I, and I think that was for charity, if, if memory serves, yes. Yes. Um, he did give the money to charity. Yeah. Um, and it's a piece of history, Graham. I'm just going to play the counter-argument to the, to the line that you're going through. It, it is a piece of history, and I think Wyatt okay. did a really interesting piece only a, only a few weeks ago about how uh -huh. some of the common memes that we see, uh, you know, those uh, little uh, um, photos of a, a fist bump kid and the girl standing in front of the burning down house, all of those images that were taken out of context and then developed their own life online, the original of those images there is uh, an agency a brokerage who's getting in touch with the original people who are in those images and offering to sell the original images to people uh general people on the internet who want to own the original one of those meme images which i think is is really interesting uh yes they can be copied because it's digital anyone can copy it but to have a digital certificate again that says actually i own the original one of these there is a a value of some sort is the argument with this. And I think that's the whole thing about crypto in, in the first place. Is there any value in it? And well, if people want to buy it and exchange it, then yeah. yes, there is a value to it. Because I saw this about the girl, because it was a young girl sat, uh, stood in front of a burning down house. That's the one. She has a sort of evil look on her face. And I heard that she's now grown up and is putting herself through college. And she's made, is it half a million dollars? I can't remember now, but it was certainly, there's a substantial amount of money yes. that many of these, uh, you know, uh, pioneers or unwitting pioneers <laughs> of early internet culture are now able to command for the uh, original image. And also bona fide serious artists, like artists like Mike Wickelman, right? He's known as Beeple. He put his painting, The First 5,000 Days, that's what it's called, as an NFT artwork, right? Uh, to be offered up by a major auction house, and it sold for a record, get this, $69 million on March 11th this year. But the star of the show are CryptoPunks, okay? These are by Larva Labs. Now, CryptoPunks, let me just give you a link in the show notes. You guys can take a look at this right. while I'm talking because this yep. will kind of blow your mind, I think. Oh, I say I'm on some sort of site with some sort of, 8-bit style mm. art. Right? Okay, so they're 24 by 24 pixel art images generated mm. algorithmically. Okay? <laughs> and they're mostly punkishy characters. Mm. And there are a few that are considered very rare. Okay? I wouldn't say any of them are remarkable works of art, in my opinion. But there you are. It is cutting edge, as you say, David. You know, it's we're at the cusp of something crazy weird. So Larva Lamps uh, is uh, run by Matt Hall and John Watkinson. 
And as you can see, this has become a hot commodity among the crypto's nouveau riche. Oh my goodness. There are 10,000 unique collectible characters with proof of ownership stored on the Ethereum yeah. blockchain. And you, have you seen some of the prices there mm. that they've gone for? I have. Tell us. <laughs> Tell us what you can get for a 24 by 24 pixel art image. So it's just a little image of a guy with a flat cap and a pipe. But to you, $7.5 million. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the biggest. That was the highest. It says total value of all sales lifetime. Yep. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> half, half a billion, more than half a billion dollars. $590 million. Yep. So no surprise, there's a Twitter bot dedicated to tracking CryptoPunks transactions. <laughs> Even the New York Times, did you read that, David? So even the New York Times, as an experiment, put up a picture, an NFT picture of a New York Times article for auction on the Ethereum platform. Someone paid 560000 for it, a picture of the column by journalist Kevin Roos. And like, why would anyone spend the price of a high-end Lamborghini on a picture of my words, he asked, right? <laughs> Like, as you say, some NFT collectors believe that owning early prominent crypto tokens will eventually be like owning rare first edition books or priceless paintings. Even Johnny Depp, Graham. Carol, there is no... <laughs> the words even Johnny Depp don't actually mean anything, do they? Because <laughs> there's no surprise that Johnny Depp has done anything at all. So even Johnny Depp doesn't mean anything. He is selling a poem he penned. Of course. It's Johnny Depp. For his ex-fiancee, we own a writer as an NFT for charity. So there you go. Now, artists, of course, are saying this is amazing. Like there was one artist who was recently sold a portrait of Kobe Bryant for almost $30,000 and said, before now, I, I couldn't say that I could put food on my table through my work. But there are problems. And Graham, you touched on these in your story. Um, so one is accounts can get stolen, right? The platform where you store your NFT account could get hacked, for example. And you might have to say sayonara to your ownership or to your little dosh that's being stored in there. Are, are there any limits as to what you could create an NFT for? Because I was making myself some breakfast this morning and I, I cut my finger a little bit with a knife. Could I create an NFT for that scar on my finger? Oh, but is it art, Graham? Is it art? Oh, yes. <laughs> even Johnny Depp would cut his finger for art. I think I could be even Graham Cluley. Yes. If you took a picture of that and it and it existed somewhere online, then in theory that is a uh, a tradable asset, and you could mint an NFT. I'm, I'm actually not sure if that's the correct um, terminology. Mm. It might be, um, and then sell that. And you know, somebody may well want to buy a digital picture of that scar on your finger. <sighs> I remember this artwork, which was basically a banana duct taped to a wall, literally. Yeah. And it was a, you'd have to replace the banana in order to keep the artwork. And I think it did sell for some ridiculous, I, mean, I was just looking to see if it was NFT, but I couldn't find it. Is this a good thing, Crow? Is this a good thing? Is this good? Is this, is this good? <laughs> is this good that this is happening? Is this good? Is this good for the world? How many times, man? <laughs> um, not good for the world, actually. Very, very bad for Mother World because it takes a chunk of energy to uh, to mine this stuff and to to keep these blockchains going. 
does. Uh, and, and what I would say from from the little that I have picked up over the last few months on this is that there are moves to change that. And while Bitcoin is like the Facebook of the of the crypto world, and it is very, very resource hungry, there are some newer technologies. And indeed, Ethereum is looking at moving over to that, uh, that rather than being kind of mining based are stake based, and they're far more efficient. I think this is a good thing. I think that as as with many new technologies, that there's a reason why they've kind of risen to the top right now. And with the rising price of other cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and so on, that's created a bit of a gold rush here in the NFT space. And also the fact that many people have been in lockdown for the last 12 or longer months. And, you know, this is a, a way of people making money off, you know, possibly creating a new business. So I think that's contributed to it as well. But as with many new technologies, there will be all of these heightened expectations over the you know the initial wave of it and then we'll come to a bit of a trough of disillusionment but then there will be some real use cases that come up and you know it'll be in the longer term where i think we will start to see technologies like nft or, or technology implementations like nfts actually have some value but right now it's a bit of a blunderbuss scattergun approach while we try and work out what the right application for this technology is so i'm kind of optimistic even if the current phase is a bit of a bubble I think that there is some potential value and utility of this in the longer term. It's kind of cool for artists, though. Like, imagine you've written a song, Clue, and then before you tell anyone about the song, make it an NFT work or available via that medium. And then you can talk to publishers or anything. You can talk to anyone about it and they can, you can, they can buy it from that platform. So why a song? Ownership why is not a podcast? Always- why not a podcast? Why not a podcast? Exactly. You know, we store more personal information on our devices than we do in our homes. Where do you go online when you want to write or share something privately? Skiff is the first collaboration platform built for privacy from the ground up. Every document, note and idea you write is end-to-end encrypted and completely private. Only you and your trusted collaborators can see what you've created. Unlike Google Docs, Evernote or Notion, no one else, not even Skiff, ever has access. Skiff is offering listeners of Smashing Security early access. Sign up for Skiff's beta at skiff.org slash smashing. That's S-K-I-F-F dot org slash smashing. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of security, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors know before can tell you, human error is how most organizations get compromised. Where there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. And to do that, they need new school security awareness training. Know before the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated phishing platform. See how your security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com slash free test. That's K-N-O-W-B-E and the number four dot com slash free test. Think of Know Before for your security training. Introduce your family to better online security and safer browsing habits with 1Password. 1Password doesn't just make it easy and safe to share passwords with your loved ones. You can also save logins, documents, credit cards, and more. 
Sharing's made simple. Keep personal logins private and easily share access to what they need. And you can recover 1Password access for family members so they never get locked out. Find out more and try 1Password for free for 14 days at onepassword.com. And welcome back. Can you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like could be a funny story a book that they've read a tv show a movie a record a podcast a website or an app whatever they wish doesn't have to be security related necessarily better not be well my pick of the week this week is not security related but i am a big fan of subtitles if i'm watching a tv program even if it is in english even if i've got the sound turned up maybe it's my age no i've always been doing this i will turn the subtitles on because i get more of the plot i enjoy reading it's like, oh, so that's how you say, you know, I just, I just like to turn on subtitles. I do the same thing. Great. So, yeah. So yep. it's not that we're old fogies. No. Wouldn't it be great if we could get live subtitles on anything that we're doing on a computer? Ooh. Oh. Ha ha You now can. Because if you're using the Chrome browser, which isn't the browser I normally use, but I've used it for this experiment, there is an option called Live Caption. And they've just introduced it. If you go into settings and then accessibility, which is under advanced settings on your Chrome browser, you can enable live caption and you will see captions of whatever your browser hears coming out of the browser. So this is audio from uh, a podcast or a video, a YouTube video, whatever that you're playing through your browser. Not only does that make its way to your headphones or to your speakers or whatever, that also gets sucked up to Googleville and they do some AI machine learning, whatever on that. um, And then they send back some letters onto your screen. Yeah, I think Mm. actually it may actually be happening entirely within the browser. I'm not sure. Ah, I'd have to go and read. There's, There's a blog link. You can go and check it out. I'm not a security or privacy guy, so I didn't look in those details. No. But <laughs> I tried it out. <laughs> I tried it out on our podcast, um, our last episode of the podcast to see. And it doesn't do a brilliant job. But it does. I mean, considering what it does, it does a fairly reasonable I, job. Don't you do this? I do this all the time on YouTube, right? And actually on mm. on, on digital television and stuff, Netflix and all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because you get auto-generated captions. You can have them yeah. on YouTube. So YouTube is a bit is clunky, but obviously... Actually, just to be clear, I'm, I'm looking at the TNCs for this right now, and it does say these captions in Chrome are created on device, which allows the captions right. to appear as the content plays without ever having to leave your computer. There's probably a little bit more to delve into there, but it does, mm. at least on first look, seem to be on device. I was concerned. I was concerned about the privacy implications of yeah. that, but... It's, it's, it's good that you're you're keeping an eye on that, David, even if I wasn't on this occasion. And his here. Yep. <laughs> I, I am old enough to remember. I don't know about you, Gret. No. Yes, you probably are, actually. CFAX, page 888. I remember yes. Philip Schofield oh, yeah. in the broom cupboard just before <laughs> Neighbours came on at half past five in the afternoon before my tea was ready. And they would even dip, he would even do the British Sign Language symbol. I can remember it very, very clearly. And if you want mm-hmm. subtitles for Neighbours or whatever it was, CFAX, page 888. And through the magic of teletext, which those in the yeah. UK will remember fondly, particularly those who went to BBC Micro at a certain age mm-hmm. as well in the 80s, will remember... Yes, it was, it was great. It was live captions on your screen before any of this Chrome yeah. technology was around. Very cool. Very cool. David, what's your pick of the week? 
Well, I may have mentioned that I moved house recently, um, and we we've bought a house that's about 150 years old. So it's it's not going anywhere, but it's certainly showing all of the signs of wear and tear that guarantee busy weekends, busy holidays, and virtual bankruptcy uh, for for time to come. So. I've never been much of a handyman. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. My, my, my skills are digital rather than manual. But I have been trying to do my bit to learn one end of a screwdriver from another. And I found something online while I was Googling how to use a measuring tape or something. And um, there's a guy called the Gothith Handyman. Um, and he's got a, a YouTube channel with you know loads and loads of videos on there, a, a good number of subscribers as well. And he's, uh, first of all, he's a great guy to watch. He's very engaging, clearly knows his stuff. You kind of feel as though you're hanging out with him. Um, he's about the same age as uh, as I am. But also he he talks about how to use um, how to use stuff that as a DIY person you would need to use in a very easygoing, non-patronising manner that makes it, uh, you know, uh, first of all, very credible, very authoritative, but also very accessible. Also, he's currently renovating a 1920s semi-detached property from the ground up, wow. practically. And uh, so what I've done and you know, I'm all for supporting online content creators. And, you know, some people use Patreon, which is a great platform. Um, this guy's got his own platform. I pay a couple of quid a month for a member zone. So I get some additional videos. But the most value for me is he goes through the cost breakdown of all the different jobs that he's, all the trades that he's getting in, how much it costs to uh, have some windows fitted, how much it costs to have oh. a shed put up in the bottom of your garden or to have a new water supply rooted into your house. That information is invaluable because I trust that he's not going to be getting ripped off. So if the prices that I'm getting quoted for all the similar work that we're having done at our house are similar to his, then that's an immediate cost saving. So for a couple of quid a month to get some extra content and to follow him on his journey as he who knows what he's doing is bringing this house back to its former glory is great. I've been binge watching this man's channel while I've been doing my washing up for the, for the last three or four weeks. And I've still got an awfully long way to go, but I do feel as though, you know, I feel more confident with a screwdriver in my hand than ever I did. So, Gothith Handyman, uh, Andy Mac and Andy McClellan, pure coincidence, is his name. Uh, <laughs> look him up on YouTube and uh, you'll find lots of interesting stuff. So there stuff I was there. Googling for myself. <laughs> and <laughs> um, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the process right now of getting new windows and it's a horrifying experience. So I will definitely check that out. And if you're in the same boat, we can oh, talk and compare cool. stuff if you want. <laughs> So, listeners, that's Gosforth Handyman, G-O-S-F-O-R-T-H Handyman. Uh, just Google that and you'll find his property maintenance channel. Terrific. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Right. I was having trouble this week about what do I pick? What do I pick? And then I was looking out the window and I thought, oh, I know what I'll pick because I live in a little town, right? In a city and I have a smallish garden, but I have a Canadian size appetite to grow a vegetable cornucopia this year. But How? Um, I don't want big, heavy planners, and I don't want to dig up tons of stuff, but I purchased some foldable felt sacks. Now, they're basically like half a cylinder, right? Available mostly in dark colors, variety of diameters, and you plant your soil directly into it, then your seedlings directly into that. So the roots stay super toasty because it's black and all warm with the sun, and it drains super well because it, the whole thing's porous. 
And if you fill it three quarters full, your seedlings are protected from harsh winds. And they have handles. You can carry them around, move them around. I am so far, I'm in love with them. Now, uh, Mark Stockley, who was last week's uh, guest host, he said they, they might rot very quickly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We will see. I will inform you at the end of the summer. But until then, check those out. I have a few links to others. I don't have a brand. I bought tons of different brands just to check them out. But (laughs) I have a link about how they work and the pros and cons. And you can check that out. So grow bags is your pick of the week. (laughs) Felt grow bags is my pick of the week. You have a problem with that? Well, no, it's just that earlier you were calling me middle-aged. That's all. It's just interesting what you can That's about age, Graham. That's not about... (laughs) I'm I'm totally going to look those up. Gardening is next summer's project. But, you know, some some felt grow bags for our Victorian cottage garden. Brilliant. Exactly. And they fold, right? So at the end of the year, if they're not all rotted, like Mark says they might be, um, you can just dry them out and fold them up and they don't take a ton of space. So anyway, I'm into into these. I'm into these. Uh, We've had it all, haven't we? We've had punk NFTs. We've had grow bags, (laughs) subtitles. That just about wraps it up for this week. David, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online or find out what you're up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at David McClelland. Lots of C's, lots of L's and a couple of L's chucked in for good measure. And currently on BBC One, 9.15 till 10am, BBC Rip Off Britain. Me and uh, a handful of other amazing experts helping people with their consumer gripes. Brilliant stuff. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and last have a G. And you can also join us on our subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps such as Pocket Casts, Overcast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And huge thank you to this episode's sponsors, 1Password, Skiff, and No Before, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to all of these people that this show's free for all. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of 225 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. Hey people, Carol from Smashing Security here. This is just a little thank you to all of you. Last week, uh, Graham kind of said, hey, would you guys mind giving us a review sometime? Quite a few of you did. So, wow. I just want to read out a few favorites from last week. So one from B. Babeno saying, such a clever and funny podcast. Every week I'm really looking forward to the next episode in chemistry between the two hosts of the show. Highly recommended. A big and sincere thank you to the makers of this brilliant podcast and their guests. Loved receiving that review. So thank you so much, B. Abeno. Another favorite one was Addicted. I listen when going to bed, waking up, odd jobs around the house, whilst I'm working, even around Tesco. Absolutely addicted and always looking forward to a Thursday. That's from VicVon94. High five, Vic, for taking the 60 seconds it needed to do that review, because it means the world.
thank you to everyone that left reviews. They seriously helped. We're going to try and read a few of our favorites every week. So keep them coming. Buckets of love to you guys. Thank you.